Welcome to the Church Podcast, talking all things ministry so you can do church better. I'm joined by John Ronaldo, uh, as always. John, how's it going? I'm good, man. I, I'm excited. Summer, it's 103 degrees here in Las Vegas today, and so I'm, uh, I like the heat. I'm excited about summer. How, are you excited about summer? Are you digging this? Where, where are you at, Chris? I uh, will defer that question for another time, but um, to keep it pleasant, you know, I'm thinking about it. it's almost been a year since I last, like, well, when I came out to uh, Las Vegas and we hung out and everything, and it's funny to hear you say like 102 because remember that we went hiking and there was still snow at the top of, um, I forget the name of the peak. It's not, I want to say Charleston, but it was next to it, right? Mount Charleston. Was, no, it was Mount Charleston. Charleston. Yeah, we were yeah, going yeah, up yeah. Mount Charleston. And, well, uh, yeah, to be fair. So. Yeah, Mount Charleston is 11,500-ish feet, you know, and it's only 45-minute drive from my house. And uh, uh, we had a ton of snow and rain last year. And so uh, you're not going to see that. If you came today, Chris, you would not see that. We were, we don't have that much snow this time. Well, don't tease me like that because I can't, like, come today <laughs> because just the way of the world. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, um, speaking of the way of the world, we've yeah. got somebody in a different part of the world that's joining us here today. I'm excited to introduce someone who I've worked with uh, for years, especially doing some national stuff for the National Federation for Catholic Youth Ministry. But we have Leonard DiLorenzo here joining us live from the middle of Indiana. Lenny, what's up, my friend? How are hey, you? Good to see you, John. Chris, thanks for having me on, guys. It's a pleasure, man. Uh, Lenny, tell us a little bit about yourself, just so people know like, why we have you on the church podcast with us today. <laughs> yeah, I should probably explain it to myself, I suppose, too. So, <laughs> um, so I, I work at the University of Notre Dame in what's called the McGrath Institute for Church Life. Um, our mission is to really intentionally seek to bridge the university as an academic institution with the church and offer the resources of the university to parishes, dioceses, schools, et cetera. And then also kind of as, a, as an intake mechanism for the university to stay uh, really knowledgeable about and informed about the needs and the gifts of the church so we can do our work and research and teaching better. Um, I also teach in the theology department at Notre Dame uh, from undergraduate to graduate level. And here in the northernmost part of central Indiana, South Bend, Indiana, um, my wife and six kids. This is where we are. Man, oh man. Growing out the beard. You can't see this in podcast land, but he's got this great <laughs> beard going on here. And uh, we, I guess we should be calling you doctor as well because oh, no, no, no. Mr. PhD, Dr. De Lenny DeLorenzo. <laughs> right, okay. Is that a requirement when you are a, a doctor in the university level that you have, have to have a beard? It's totally true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Excellent. We don't even have, we don't have ID cards or anything to get into buildings. Like it just, it's not <laughs> ID, it's beard ID. And then it just opens the doors for us. There you go. <laughs> That's awesome. Now the McGrath Institute, I've been following you guys for years. We've actually had Catherine Angulo, who's part yep. of the McGrath Institute on our podcast in the past. And so uh, I've always really appreciated what the McGrath Institute has been doing specifically for leadership at the parochial and the diocesan level. I think that's really cool. But I have a really burning, burning question before we get into our topic today. All right. Why do we call it the McGrath Institute versus the McGraw Institute? Because it, is there an Irish root here? And you, wouldn't we call it McGraw? I mean, I know this is like so important. We need to figure this out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, several years ago, um, Joan and Bob McGrath endowed our institute um, very generously. And so they have uh, are one of the or one of the couples that have enabled us to do a lot of the work that we do. So 
they got naming rights to the institute. We're quite happy about that. So it's the McGrath Institute. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. Well, Chris and Lenny, we're going to talk about co-responsibility today because the reality is, Chris, we've talked about buzzwords. Co-responsibility is becoming another buzzword that out there in, in, in Catholic world. And we're not against buzzwords. They're just out there. And so we wanted to take an opportunity to really get somebody who knows what they're talking about when it comes to co-responsibility, which is Lenny. Give us a sense of what it is and, and, and what does that mean for church leaders, both at the parish and diocesan level and how we live that out. So Lenny, give us a sense of when we talk about co-responsibility in the church, what do we mean by that? I think the, the primary thing with co-responsibility is that the mission of the church, the primary mission of the church is entrusted to all the faithful. And so this is to say that the laity alongside and with the clergy have a primary and full responsibility for the mission of evangelization, which is the primary mission of the church. You know, in our work uh, in the McGrath Institute, like we, we really got into this a few years ago and wanted to kind of raise this up and try to both describe and define what we mean by co-responsibility. And one of the ways that we wanted to do that is we hosted a conference, um, actually March 4th through 6th of this year, uh, 2020. So it was the very last thing we did before, you know, society was suspended for some time. <laughs> yeah, just um, in time. <laughs> yeah, just in time, just in time. But in that way, like it was also providential because focusing on co-responsibility as we've gone into these past few months and as we're looking ahead to the future, I think that was co-responsibility was timely and relevant before, but it might be urgent and necessary now when we're going to be going forward with likely fewer resources in the church. Some of our regular patterns and routines will be continue to be disrupted. And so claiming the responsibility for the mission of evangelization among all the faithful, I think will be even more important to take initiative and to be committed to that. Where, what is the root of co-responsibility? Is it coming from Vatican II? Is it coming from other church documents? Kind of where did that idea of co-responsibility surface? And, and then why is it just starting to gain some traction now in terms of our language and talking about it? Yeah, I think it's, it's the proper and correct uh, reception and interpretation of uh, Vatican II. Really, it is a um, clarification of, say, Lumen Gentium V on the universal call to holiness. It certainly has to do with the call and the dignity of the laity, and it has to do with the call and the dignity of the ordained ministry, which is ordered to building up the body of the church, that is to say, to support and to build up the laity for living out the mission of evangelization. We had, I don't think we discovered this, but one thing we set our attention on was there was a, a little kind of like a, a little known under considered um, speech that Pope Benedict gave in 2012, in which he said that the laity should not be regarded as collaborators of the clergy. And by that, I think he means like, well, the clergy are the ones who are entrusted primarily with the mission of the church. And now and again, the laity may to certain degrees participate in that mission, but it's not properly theirs. So he says they should not be regarded as collaborators of the clergy, but rather as people who are really, and then he used the term, co-responsible for the church's being and acting. And I think to say that we are all co-responsible for it means that there is a gift that is given to all of us by virtue of our initiation into the church that 
that mission and dignity of Christ is conferred upon all of us. But the responsibility or the task, therefore, is that we have to accept it and actually spend our time, energy, prayer, um, all of our efforts in making the gospel known and of serving the needs of others. And so I think it has to do with a shift, not just in mindset, but also of time, of priority, of commitment for all the faithful. It, it, it's interesting because everything that you're saying, I'm like, yes, this is awesome. Right. Uh, I agree <laughs> and everything. And, uh, but right. Yeah. The question is like, how, how does the shift begin to happen, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, uh, this idea of, like, co-responsibility makes sense, and I think people would welcome the idea of it, but the actual, you know, action of moving in that direction is yeah. tough. Like, you know, so what, what does that mean that um, you'll, we'll see more parishes uh, that aren't necessarily led by uh, clergy, but led by um, you know, a lay, a lay person in, in a pastoral associate role or, you know, a director of whatever. Um, what, what, uh, from, from a higher level, what does that look like or what are the things talking, uh, that, that you guys are talking about? Yeah, this really gets to the rub. I'm, I'm really grateful for that question. So, and I, all of this in some ways has to do with leadership, but leadership is not reducible to governance. Like there is a certain, there is a degree of governance in the church that is appropriate and necessarily tied to the sacrament of holy orders. So this isn't undoing that, right? To say like, well, instead of bishops, we need to have kind of clericalized lay people. That's not it. Like that's not the call of lay people. And that is undoing um, the sacramental hierarchy of the church, which is not a Catholic thing. But to your point, Chris, I think it, you know, this does have to do in some ways with supporting and building up, say, lay ecclesial ministry, but it also can't be reduced to that because there's a danger there in just focusing on lay ecclesial ministry and again, kind of clericalizing the laity. So what does it mean in terms of leadership, a kind of, of new, new forms of shared leadership? I think it means in some cases, like in parishes, let's say just to focus, um, in parishes, it means real evangelical evangelizing activity and initiative that isn't well, certainly isn't always like contained within programs and it's certainly not coming from top down. But I think for the lady, that means for, for somebody like me, right? It means like actually investing time in my parish, not just to be a lector and a Eucharistic minister, though I do that, and not just to be um, part of the, say, faith formation ministries, though it might be to do that. But it means to allow and really allow the parish community to become a central community and a central place in my life, which to be honest, probably hasn't been, right? Like the time and attention in my communal associations may have been shifted elsewhere in my adult life, but what does it mean to make the parish a central communal place for me, for my family, for my other parishioners, and to allow that to become a hub of charitable activity of bearing burdens together with my other parishioners and through our parishioners for our local community. We've really tried, at least in our parish, to do some more of that, especially over these past few months when um, some needs have been elevated in our community and even as public masses were suspended. So to go back to your question, you know, in Evangelii Gaudium, kind of, I think, working with this idea, Pope Francis, in speaking of the missionary character of especially the lady says look lay lay persons have not been given the formation 
needed to take on res important responsibilities in the church. So the other side of this is we need to do a better job of forming the laity. And I think that has to do with schooling. It has to do with young, uh, with youth ministry. It has to do with adult faith formation, forming the laity to be able to take on this responsibility for evangelization, preaching, teaching, and serving charitably. So let me, uh, sorry, let me, let me kind of ask a follow-up question. Um, and maybe this is, uh, I think I kind of know the answer, but I feel like I just need to. Because I probably it. don't. So tell me the answer after you ask. No, 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 no. Like I know my answer. I should say. <laughs> <laughs> um, like that sounds great. Yeah. And, but is there a thirst for that? Right. Is there a, is there a large enough thirst from the laity to do that? Cause I agree with you. Like the, you know, yeah. clericalism is not just reserved for the clergy, right? right? I mean, Father Mallon talks about that in his book, Divine Renovation, where, you know, even like, like myself as a youth minister, like I can make it all about me, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's inviting the, the faithful, it's inviting the lay, you know, uh, lay person into that process. But one thing I'm hearing my fellow youth ministers and DREs say this is like, parents, people don't want to get involved. So right. is the thirst there? Are you guys seeing the thirst there? And if, if it is, what are ways that we can recognize that thirst? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, no, it does. I would say kind of my brief answer would be no, the thirst probably isn't. It's, I don't think it's just there and waiting, right? Right. It's, but I think what is there is a, a, a kind of more hidden thirst, if you will, to actually be challenged, to be uh, inspired and really held accountable for a, for a real mission. And I think maybe this is the other side of it. Like the, the thirst isn't there because we haven't, I think, had that expectation, right? We haven't, we haven't had that challenge. And I think that goes back to what I was just saying from Pope Francis, like the formation hasn't been there, but along with the formation has also hasn't been the clear message that this is what it means to be a mature Catholic, right? To take on by virtue of your confirmation, let's say like the sealing of your initiation. This is what it means to be, a mature Catholic, like you are responsible for this mission. Um, so I think, and I know you you think a lot about this, especially both of you, but I was thinking of you in particular, Chris, like what does it mean to form young people and then adults in the sacraments of, of initiation? What are we forming them for? And I think one way to put that is we're forming people to become a source of goodness, not just marked by the identity of the Christian faith as Catholics, but actually to become a wellspring of that that joy, that service, that witness for others. And so that means that you got to do stuff and it's going to take time and effort from you to be that source for others. Um, but I think raising the expectation and supporting it with the right kind of formation will instill or awaken that thirst that probably isn't there right now. I, I appreciate you saying that because, you know, I, I think what you've done is identified that big, big you know, uh, I don't want to say fear, but like te tension that a lot mm -hmm. of uh, professional, um, you know, uh, parish employees face, right? They're like, I would love volunteers, but no one's committed. So I'm just going to keep on holding the reins, right? Instead yeah. of like really tackling that, and like you said, discovering that thirst or cultivating that or raising expectations and challenging that. Yeah. So um, yeah, no, uh, good job answering 
We should just end the interview right there. Right? Right there. Yeah. Mic drop. Yeah, no, no, you know, no, it, no, it would be easy for any of us, for me, to say, like, this is what we need to do, this is what we need to do, and then we close our, our podcast here, and that's it, and it's up to somebody else to do it. But but you get, not, not people can't, people listening can't see this, but you guys can see this. Like, I'm, I'm in my basement right now. We're talking on, on Zoom. Um, I, you know, I was aware of this and feeling this, this need myself. So it would be easy for me to say this to my pastoral staff at my parish, right? Like mm -hmm. you need to instill, awaken this in our young people and in our, but you know what? It's up to me to do, not just to, to, to offload that responsibility to our parish staff and our pastor. It's like, you know, six people for our 900 person, 900 family parish. It's up to me as a parishioner. So here in this basement, I'm showing you, this is where we did uh, confirmation preparation for our seventh and eighth graders last year. I did it with other parents in my home. Now it wasn't, we didn't go rogue and like, we're not doing something outside of the parish. I talked to our pastor about it, DRE, they're very supportive. We built our own, I don't wanna say program, but we built a way of doing it, forming young people in prayer in discussion and study. And their parents were down here with us promote, you know, in and out, like we opened our home. So it was a Sunday, kind of a Sunday afternoon thing, had a meal together. That was a shift in, in focus and commitment, I think for parishioners. And it started with, I'm a parishioner. I think this is, a, I have to do it. Right. Um, and it took time and it took effort and it took a lot of work. Um, but that's the kind of shift I think we have to do. And especially for loudmouths like me who are talking about doing this, like right. it's important for me to do it, actually do it. <clears throat> Well, I think that's really the actionable piece in terms of the expectations. I, we have, and Chris, you and I have railed on this before. We, are, we live in a consumeristic church. Mm -hmm. I'm going to come and receive the sacraments, receive Eucharist, receive ashes, right? And it's all about what the parish, my priest, the staff can give me and my family. <clears throat> but to your point, that's never been our mission. That's, ne that's not what we're called to. And so, when I go do training on this type of thing, you know, we talk about forming disciples and I go back and I rip off of what JFK said about not, don't ask what your country could do for you, but what you can do for your country. But what we should be asking is don't ask what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church. Hmm. But that expectation has not been set up, you know, and has been not been very clear. And so we, we still have, even post Vatican II, we still have <clears throat> generations who, who come to church, maybe they don't know why they come to church and they come receive Eucharist, they come receive whatever at mass on Sunday and, and that's it. Yeah. And, and what my challenge, my problem is like, I think we're okay with that as church. And that's not what we're called to be. And that's not what this podcast is, Chris. That's not why we did this podcast, right? You know? Right, right, right. John, yeah, no. <laughs> that, that <laughs> Chris is like, settle down, so down. settle down. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Like it, it, it is. I mean, that's why uh, we appreciate you being here as a mediator, money. Uh, but anyway, it's like, <laughs> but I mean, like, it, it, in all seriousness, uh, I mean, yeah. Just continuing on that point, um, that that's like one of those those bit. Like John, I think you said so well. Like, why as a church are we okay with the status quo, right? Like, why are we okay with it? And and part of it is like a power issue, right? Um, you know, where I have control over this, like I can control and dictate this, like, you know, Lane, what you guys are doing is, is awesome. And it's a dream of mine to see that more in churches for confirmation and formation and stuff like that. 
Uh, but then I can see that also as a threat to someone who's a paid DRE or a youth minister being like, oh my gosh, they're doing my job for me. What happens to my value in that regards as well? So that brings me to my question of, you know, as you're uh, promoting co-responsibility, how does paid laity fit into this, um, you know, paid staff fit into this? Like, how are their roles supposed to morph or, you know, change? Because a lot of people might say, like, sounds great, but I don't want to lose my job. Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm all for not reducing the, uh, the number or the support of paid ministers in the church. I'm all for increasing and, and um, further supporting that. So um, let's just, let's think about a DRE in this particular example, right? Like in just about every parish, DREs are reliant upon begging for oftentimes volunteers to do, um, to run various religious education, classrooms, faith formation, whether it's sacramental preparation or whatnot. Well, most of the time when we're coming forward, you know, as volunteers, maybe we're a parent or something like that, like we have a great, maybe a, a desire to share something of our faith. Perhaps there's, there's great piety, but to go back again to what I was saying from, from Pope Francis, have we been adequately formed and supported to do these kinds of ministries? Not as professionals here, right? But in that case, I think maybe what we can shift a little bit with our professional ministers is support them in in training and supporting the volunteers the um the parishioners for whom they haven't gone to schooling they don't we they don't have the the degrees in theology and ministry they haven't done you know an apprenticeship in a parish or a school or something like that but they love their faith they can learn more about their faith and they can get better at passing it on, teaching it, learning how to teach it. And I think that's a, that's a role, a, a, a critical role for the professional ministers to be able to equip and support um, the non-professionals, right? The, the parishioners in the pew um, who aren't, to go back to John's point, like who aren't any longer hopefully going to be just dropping off for something that, or picking up something that they're just consuming, like here's this, class or this sacrament, this sacrament or whatever it is, but they're actually invested in passing that on to others. Um, I think a lot about the parish. So we're doing this summer series this summer um, uh, on called and co-responsible every week. It's a free online seminar through our institute, mcgrath.nd.edu slash summer series. Um, but this past week, I did the first one on uh, taking responsibility for parish life. And you know, in the catechism, paragraph 2179, I don't walk around just quoting the catechism all the time. I just know this because I did this this week. 20, paragraph 2179, it says that the, the parish is a definite community of the Christian faithful established on a stable basis within a particular church. And I think what it's saying is, look, the parish is a stable community of the faithful. And that means two things. One, the parish should give us a stable place where we can be with and for one another gathered around the Lord's presence. Like it's a place to abide together, to live together, to share life and death together, joy and sorrows. It, it is that kind of place, which is a rare thing in the modern world. But the other thing I think it means is that we have a responsibility to provide stability to the parish, which means we have to make the effort as parishioners to bear the burdens of others in that parish community, that we stick to this communion even when it's hard or undesirable for us. So it's both the gift of stability and the task of stability. And I think 
professional ministers can call forth that kind of engagement from parishioners and equip and form them. And maybe that's a little bit of a shift in the way in which we think about ministry. One of the things that if I got a nickel for every time someone said, this is great, but how do I get my pastor on board? Yeah. If I had a nickel every time I heard that statement, I, I, I'd be rich. I would be a millionaire because time and time again, when we do trainings or we talk about this parent success group, this is the reality that they have. So there is this view that the door to all ministry goes through and only through the clergy, right? Yeah. Because, and I'm talking, these are professional lay ministers I'm talking about too, right? So I've, I've certainly heard, you know, your normal parishioners say that, obviously yeah. we're saying staff say it. So how do we navigate that? I don't even know what the right word is. How do we navigate around this idea that people think, and they may be right, that clergy is that door? What do we do about that? Because yeah. that's a huge obstacle for folks. Well, I think part of what's involved in that is like, how do I get my, my pastor on board? It's how do I get my pastor to do this thing I want him to do, right? To, to actually lead this effort sometimes, right? And I think that's why pastors are a lot of times resistant to the, because normally it's an idea coming from somebody, but really what it is, is I'm asking you to lead this father, right? Or I'm asking your parish, I want the parish to lead this. And what do we mean when we say the parish? We mean the six people on staff and the pastor to do yet another thing. So I think one of the ways you get your pastor on board is um, in some ways, don't wait for permission and don't go rogue, right? Like I'm gonna take initiative for this and I wanna talk to you about this father, about what I think is a need in our parish and what I wanna do about it and how I'm gonna contribute for it and can you help, can you support? I think that's a very different thing than saying, Father, I think the parish should do this, which means, Father, I think you should figure out how we should do this, right? I think, I don't know, I, I think that's kind of empowering also to our pastors when they have parishioners who say, I want to invest, in, I, this is an initiative, and also be open to being kind of critiqued from the pastor who says, I think that's a great idea. Let's think about this this way, which is not quite what you're thinking about, um, but I want you the, the priest may say, but I, I want your energy. I want you to be able to do this if you can. So let's figure out how to do it. So that's, I think that's part of my response, John. It's like, not just come with the idea, but actually come with the pledge of yourself and the willingness to bring other people into the idea, whatever it is. And I can give examples about that, but I think, I think that's really key. Would you say the same thing with the diocese for, while John says he gets a nickel every time he says, yeah. well, how do I get my pastor on board? Yeah. I would, if I got a nickel for every time I heard, how do I let, you know, my diocese, specifically child protection, get on board? Um, you know, uh, I, I'd have $100,000, not a million. Yeah. But like, uh, what, what would the, your response to that be? Like the chat. So going back to, say, like the confirmation preparation, right, where right. I was doing it at home. So it, again, like I didn't go rogue. Like I've gone through all the training. Um, I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm verified through my parish and through the diocese. It, we've secured a safe place it's on it's uh within the purview of our parish like they know what's going on so there's also the responsibility on the behalf of the of the lady in this case chris to make sure that we're doing things the right way and i think that's the really important thing about not going rogue like um there's a discipline to being a member of the church even if it seems like the best most spirit-driven inspired idea even then 
there's a discipline to staying within the kind of communion and the structure of the church to do it at the right time in the appropriate way. As one example, big example, I've learned a lot from this. Mother Teresa, when she received her call within the call, um, she knew definitely my call is to leave the community of Loretto and to go into the slums to serve the poorest of the poor. And then she had to wait two years while she received permission from her spiritual director, from her bishop, in order to transfer her vow of obedience from her religious superior to the bishop and to be able to do what she knew God was calling her to do. And I've just been fascinated with that for years now. The absolute conviction, this is what Christ is calling me to do, and the absolute commitment to the discipline of the church. And I think that's a model for all of us because I think when we're inspired, we think I have to do this right now. And it's that tension of discipline at the same time. Most of us couldn't handle waiting two years, right? Right. That, that's the test. Right? And she had absolute clarity about it. Yeah. Right? That's beautiful. I love hearing that. That's incredible. Yeah. So when you think about, like, as you are spreading this message and, um, you know, including this in a summer series, what other application or, like, training uh, resources or opportunities are you doing uh, to empower the laity? Like, how, how, is, how, how have you guys started to put together a plan for transforming this, like, mentality of, you know, clericalism to co-responsibility? Yeah, so, I mean, I'll just talk a little bit about our summer series. Like, we're trying to move from here's the idea of it to here's how, you know, in dialogue with folks um, in parishes and dioceses, families, like, here's how we might start committing ourselves to it. So, in a later session coming up, um, we're going to talk about the domestic church and liturgical formation. And I think, you know, especially over these past couple of months, for many of us, we've had a little bit of experience of the kind of commitment that's required to be really engaged as uh, as Catholics when we don't have, in this case, when we haven't had the Sunday celebration of the Eucharist at our parishes to fall back on. Now, this isn't to say we're preparing for uh, a doomsday scenario where we won't have parishes that where we come together to celebrate Eucharist, but maybe what we've seen is like how a, a little bit of this commitment that it's taken to remain engaged in the liturgical life, in praying at home, in um, learning about the liturgy and becoming prepared, better prepared to actively participate in it when we couldn't just go to our parish and do what we've always done. So we wanna kind of break that open. We're gonna talk about um, creating what we call cultures of belonging, which are kind of these smaller, kind of smaller little communities that bring people into some form of church life without having to ask for everything all at once. It's not, hey, come to mass with me on Sunday, which is kind of a big ask. I mean, maybe it's not that big, but it is asking something of someone that's a little bit more significant if they're not involved in the life of the church. So how do we create smaller cultures of communion, of belonging that are kind of like way stations um, places to move a little bit closer into the life of the church to get a feel for it. So we're going to talk about that in terms of like little, um, and we're going to have examples of this, like little case studies, um, evening prayers that include uh, testimonies of faith and some of these communities, digital communities that have been fostered over these past, especially these past couple months when, again, people didn't have the opportunity to go to parishes and that have actually reached people who have been disengaged from the church for some time in a way that our regular gatherings haven't. So we're going to look, we're going to do like these case studies, talk with people, give some ideas, 
listen, you know, in our seminars, we're, we're also opening up to listen to people and, and their questions and what they have and using chat rooms for that. So that's part of how we're trying to do it. That's beautiful. Uh, we'll link, we'll link to the summer series of, from the McGrath Institute in the show notes. So just go to the church podcast.org and we'll have it there on the latest episodes as well. So Lenny, really appreciate you taking the time to break this open. Again, as always happens with these interviews, this is not nearly enough time right, right. Uh, to, to kind of break this open. But well, we started to whet people's appetite around this idea of co-responsibility. And what this means, it's not just about you know, lay ecclesial ministers and clergy, although that's a piece of it, but it's the, the, the lay faithful, right, as a whole, you know, that we're all part of this mission. So I really love that. I am going to throw out there as, as a, a little promotional thing, uh, Lenny also just finished writing a great book that I think is perfect for your own spiritual prayer reflections, A God Who Questions, here it is. So uh, we'll link to that as well, because it really is an incredible spiritual book for folks to kind of dwell on the, the questions that are asked uh, uh, in, in the Gospels. And so uh, uh, thanks for writing that as well. That's been helpful to me uh, in my own spiritual journey. So Chris, here's another spiritual book for you to read. Not that you need more on your list, but there you go. <laughs> awesome. Excellent. Uh, no, I definitely uh, looking for, for some of that. Um, but uh, Lenny, if people want to get in touch with you or uh, learn more about what you're doing or who you are, what's the best avenue to do that? Sure. So our institute is just at mcgrath.nd.edu. And then I foolishly have my own website too, which is leonardjdilorenzo.com. leonardjdilorenzo.com. There's nothing foolish about having your own website, as uh, John and I know. But uh, uh, right. again, thank you so much for uh, being on the show. Um, uh, the summer series, along with other things, will be in our show notes. Thank so that if you want to learn more about what he is doing and the McGrath Institute is doing, I definitely want to check that out. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, feel free to go to thechurchpodcast.org. And if you want to shoot us any questions, it's questions at thechurchpodcast.org. But let's just say you have questions that you want to direct towards John. John, what's the best way people can get in touch with you? Check us out at parasuccessgroup.com or reach out uh, to me, uh, especially on Twitter, at John Ronaldo. And I really just want to echo what Chris said about asking your questions. If you have questions, if you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, but, or, or I've got something that you want us to explore a little bit more, please send those uh, to us. With most of the ideas that, that Chris and I come up with here are interactions that we have with people out in the field. And that's how we come up with these topics. And so if you've got something that's burning on you, please send it our way. We'd love to riff on that uh, and have that be included as one of our episodes. Awesome. And uh, if, uh, again, you have those questions, shoot them to us at questions at thechurchpodcast.org. Or if you want to reach out to me, uh, find me on social media at, at Marathon Youth Ministry or go to MarathonYouthMinistry.com. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode or previous episodes, we'd love for you to leave at least a five-star review um, on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere this podcast can be heard and share it with your friends so we can continue to not just empower people, but uh, preach the, the value of co-responsibility. Uh, all right. So Lenny, again, thanks for joining us. And uh, would you mind closing us in prayer? Well, I'd be happy to. Thank you, fellas, for having me. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I thank you for bringing us together in this way for all of our co-workers and our partners in ministry and in proclaiming the faith. We pray that you fill us with your joy and with your mission that under the patronage of your blessed mother, we may become your apostles, your ministers in this world. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.